it's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and uh, we have some interesting stuff on the show today. Coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour, we're going to talk with... um, a, uh, a dancer, speaker, author, yoga teacher, and transformational guide, Phoebe Leona, who has uh, written a book called Dear Radiant One. It's kind of a memoir, an emotional recovery story and transformational guide to embody the dance of life. And it talks about not only her sort of um, getting away from and overcoming uh, drug abuse and and other substance abuses uh, in her home life growing up but her dad also had a lion how many uh <laughs> how many times do you hear that one um anyway we're going to talk with uh, phoebe about that coming up in the third hour of our three-hour tour in the middle hour the second hour we're going to talk with uh, renee linnell who's the author of uh, a new memoir called still on fire um, she had a successful run with her book, The Burn Zone, which was also kind of a memoir. But she talks about um, getting out of uh, cult, uh, a, a cult. And um, anyway, she talks about that coming up in just a little bit. But we're going to start out first talking about veterans and some of the experiences they have after they've uh, served our country how they're how they're treated by uh, veteran affairs and and other organizations as told in a new book um, called our veterans winners losers friends and enemies on the new terrain of veterans affairs and one of three authors of that book uh, is joining me by phone jasper craven jasper good morning and welcome to the show me hello can you hear me tom uh yeah you were breaking up you were were coming in and out i could tell you were there but i couldn't tell what you were saying good morning and welcome to the show thank you um Jasper, how did the three of you, uh, Suzanne Gordon, Steve Early, and you, um, get together and decide to to write this book? Writing is usually kind of a solitary thing. You don't usually hear a bunch of people get together and say, let's write a book. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Well, Suzanne Gordon and I have been covering the Department of Veterans Affairs together for about five years. She's written a couple of books about veterans issues. 
Um, and I had read one of them and been really inspired by it when I was deciding sort of where to uh, focus my reporting uh, as I entered into freelance writing. Um, and Steve Early is Suzanne's husband. He uh, also has a long history as a lawyer in the labor movement. And uh, a lot of the book focuses on labor issues within the veteran community. And so he just brought a really helpful knowledge base and history um, to that work. And we, we've all sort of talked about veterans issues for a long time and collaborated in one way or another. So it was sort of a natural uh, fit once we started talking about a book. Well, I'm interested in this uh, in this this labor angle because the military has always been thought of as somewhat exempt from a lot of the changes that went on socially in our country over the last couple of hundred years. Um, they were a little slow to um, to include. Uh, uh, people of color and and um, women, um, but but there were other things that were sort of understood that there was this very uh, kind of a hierarchy way of doing things. It was very much a top-down management structure, and you did as you were told, and there was no complaint department. Um, is and and it was argued by military professionals that it had to be that way to ensure discipline and focus, especially on the battlefield. Um, are we finding that that really isn't true and that there are some fair labor practices that the military could avail itself of without putting anybody in harm's way? Uh, that's a very good question, and I think the, the short answer to that is yes. I mean, um, you know, there is something certainly beneficial to a strict hierarchy, and, you know, I think the military at its best can be truly meritocratic, meaning, you know, that it can offer a path to middle class as well as to a um, prestigious position for someone who enters at the lowest rank and works very hard. Um, of course, complicating all of that uh, are the, the conditions you described, including discrimination, sexism, um, you know, sort of a good old boys network that often thrives. And so I think a lot of people enter the military with high hopes, fairly idealistic, and, um, you know, they're then pretty quickly woken up to the realities of the job. Um, the military is not unionized. Uh, the Department of Veterans Affairs is. Um, it's actually interesting. There's there's sort of a test case right now. I believe it's in Texas, but um, a Texas unit of the National Guard has fought for unionization, arguing that 
when they're on their state orders, they qualify to be represented by a public sector union. Um, and a judge has allowed them to move forward. So there's actually some interesting sort of labor activity at the National Guard level. I'm sure it would be very difficult for that movement to make it into, uh, you know, the proper Pentagon active duty force. But, you know, clearly there are a lot of hazards to the job. Um, and I think that there is a shifting perception that they are not all inevitable, you know, sort of pain does not necessarily equal gain. And, and so there is, a, there, there are a lot of advocates pushing for, for fairer conditions and better treatment right now. How much of a role does uh, Veterans Affairs play in that? We think of Veterans Affairs as being an organization that deals with uh, uh, people after their military service is, is over, but do some of the, the things that are shared by veterans with Veterans Affairs make it back up the chain? Um, not really, and that's honestly a, a, a fundamental problem in the way I think that the DOD and the VA engage with each other. Uh, you know, generally how it works is the Defense Department churns its people through a pretty grueling number of years, and then they're spit out into the VA, often with serious physical and mental health issues that can spur you know, economic issues and, you know, many other struggles in civilian life. And the VA works mightily to address those issues and to heal the veteran. But there is very little dialogue back up to the DOD. I mean, this has been witnessed most recently in the burn pit issue. I'm not sure if you were your listeners have been following this, but many thousands, perhaps even millions of service members uh, in the post 9-11 generation were exposed to on-base burn pits in which commanders would essentially burn classified documents, equipment, feces, plastic, really anything that, that they wanted in order to sort of, you know, avoid the hassle of um, having some sort of trash, uh, proper trash and sanitation services. And so this noxious smoke was inhaled by uh, service members who have since come down with very rare cancers. And the VA has been pushing to get funding to give benefits to these sick and veterans and to give care to them. And, you know, the DOD has really sort of washed its hands of the whole affair. It has been very cagey about admitting complicity in this work. And, you know, there are still reports of burn pits existing um, to this day. So you're not really seeing the VA push really hard or veterans advocates push really hard on the DOD or at least not successfully for them to sort of curb their practices. I mean, there is a long-standing precedent that has been confirmed in Supreme court cases time and again, that the military can essentially 
do whatever it wants to a recruit up to and including kill them. There have been cases of service members who have petitioned the court for serious abuses, including, you know, uh, most famously the MK Ultra experiments during the Cold War in which soldiers were unwittingly dosed with LSD and other uh, psychoactive chemicals and um, toxic gases and things of that nature. They were not properly informed that that would be happening to them. They sued the Defense Department alleging that, and the Supreme Court essentially ruled that the military was in the right to poison them um, against their wishes. So the military really has a lot of power here, and um, that is sort of sealed in, in, in federal law. Jasper, when you were talking about uh, you and the, the uh, other co-authors of um, this book, Our Veterans, Winners, Losers, Friends, and Enemies on the New Terrain of Veterans Affairs, uh, you said that you and uh, Suzanne Gordon had been covering uh, the VA and, and veterans' issues for five years or more, and that... Um, Suzanne's husband, Steve uh, Early, had been working in labor. Um, had any or all of you served in the military before, or did this just become a, a journalist's beat? Um, I, none, none of us have served, no. Um, and, you know, at the beginning of the book, we sort of walked through how we all came to this beat and sort of what inspired us. I mean, my story is that my father was actually um, a, a fairly significant player in the anti-war movement um, during Vietnam. And so I was sort of reared on a lot of anti-war texts as a child. Um, and Even stories. so much as anti-military, perhaps? I mean, you know, I think that there is a distinction that needs to be made between anti-war and anti-military. I think that some... Well, that is one of the lessons of Vietnam. Sure, sure. And I, well, I, you know, I think that there was a lot of anger around Vietnam, and I think that some of that anger may have been improperly um, directed at returning vets. I also think that there were people who sort of, tried to splinter the movement and confuse the message by improperly suggesting that activists were anti-vet or anti-soldier when in fact they were trying to indict the system itself. And it's, you know, it can be difficult to um, disentangle those two things, but I think that, you know, a, a lot of people especially you know at the lower ranks are are doing are doing a job it's really Jasper I hate to I hate to interrupt but I have a break coming up here um can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more this is fascinating of course of course okay my guest is um Jasper Craven he is uh, one of the authors of our veterans and we'll have more with Jasper right after this. Hello out there everybody, it's me, Tigger. T I double that spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. Where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods. And in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Babies come with lots of decisions. Cloth or disposable? Crib or bassinet? So when it comes to protection, go with the safest, most effective choice, vaccination. Get all the recommended vaccines for your baby by age two to protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. 
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation about uh, veterans, veterans affairs, and more with uh, one of the authors of Our Veterans, Winners, Losers, Friends, and Enemies on the New Terrain of Veterans Affairs. He is Jasper Craven. He joins me by phone. Jasper, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. Oh, no worries. Um, I, we were talking a little bit about, uh, well, I, I, what I want to start out this uh, segment with is this title, um, Our Veterans, Winners, Losers, Friends, and Enemies on the New Terrain of Veterans Affairs. I feel like there's a lot in there, but I'm not sure what it is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's let's talk about winners and losers, um, and, and what does that mean as it pertains to your book? Sure, yeah. Well, the book is a pretty wide-ranging assessment of veteran life in America today, and it's steeped in the history of veterans' life, uh, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, and, it, you know, it, it sort of examines these issues through the lens of politics, the economy, health care, things like that. Um, I think Who are our, the winners and who are the losers? Uh, I think that a lot of the focus is on the sort of the 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 fact that there are winners who can use their veteran status in one way or another to make for a good life. And that can be as simple as, you know, going to college through the GI Bill, getting a low interest VA home loan, um, you know, getting a getting a good job through a job retraining program that the VA supports, maybe even entering politics as a veteran politician and enjoying an edge because of your veteran status. You know, coming home essentially and um transitioning back into civilian life there's also a sort of more pernicious winner um in in our story who is someone that sort of uses their veteran status or targets the veteran community in a way to profit um there are a number of veterans charities um as well as healthcare companies and um other for-profit entities that have targeted veterans in the post 9-11 landscape um, in, in pretty troubling ways. And, you know, we, we touch on a number of these, these forces. One um, sort of focus is a growing uh, number of companies that are essentially selling PTSD snake oil. So they have targeted this captive, desperate population of veterans struggling with PTSD and they have made money off them by uh, selling them on essentially worthless uh, treatment. So, you know, they are a winner and, and they are essentially, you know, creating uh, a loser in, in the veteran who sort of falls for this scam and sort of, you know, comes out the other end not really doing much better. A lot of veterans, you know, are not eligible for VA care. Or they go to a school on the, the GI Bill that's a for-profit, like maybe, you know, 
the University of Phoenix online and get a pretty lousy education and their GI Bill uh, funds are exhausted. Or, you know, they struggle to transition back to civilian life and, um, you know, end up homeless. I mean, you know, there, there are just two very sort of stark um, outcomes in veteran life that, that we're sort of examining here. It sounds like we transitioned a little bit into friends and enemies there. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> but yeah. what about this new terrain of uh, veterans' affairs? How are things different today in in terms of veterans' affairs and and follow up treatment and programs and offerings to veterans? from, say, the GI Bill at the back end of World War II? Yeah, I think that the biggest change is simply that the veteran population has shrunk so drastically. And, you know, related to that, um, people who serve are now confined to specific geographic areas, mostly rural, poor areas. Uh, you know, it's also becoming sort of a family business where the father serves, then the kids serve, then their kids serve. And so what that does is it creates a pretty yawning uh, civilian-military divide. But I think for our purposes, it also weakens the political power of veterans advocates like the American Legion, the VFW, um, Vietnam Veterans of America, groups like that. And, you know, these are the groups that fought incredibly hard through savvy organizing, through massive protests to secure the GI Bill. You know, after Vietnam, there were incredible protests from Vietnam veterans um, demanding that the VA staff up and offer better health care. And, and that was done. You know, in 1972, there was even talk of eliminating the Senate Veterans Affairs Committee, uh, which is focused exclusively on veterans issues. But the American Legion and the VFW um, called up their members who jammed the Capitol Hill switchboards, and that proposal was immediately taken off the table. So, you know, historically, you had veterans advocates, veterans group, congressionally charted veterans groups like the American Legion, who really had so much power in dictating veterans policy. But that is no longer the case. They're still working hard, but they just don't have the same muscle they once did. And so in that vacuum, you've seen special interests start to donate to lawmakers on the House and Senate Veterans Affairs Committee. You've seen them um, hire lobbyists to pass legislation to outsource care, to weaken benefits, to open up benefits and loosen regulations so that they can get in and get a piece of the pie. You know, the VA is the second largest agency to the Defense Department. And really what we've seen is sort of a similar um, industry or complex uh, to what, you know, Eisenhower first warned about when he talked about the military industrial complex. There is now sort of a veteran industrial complex that is not building bombs or bullets, but instead trying to, you know, win money, win contracts, and sort of profit off the backs of veterans. And and that's 
you refer to that as as friendly fire that mm-hmm. um, that veterans have to navigate um, e- even before they're discharged, uh, you know, as service members, but but certainly as veterans. Um, how in, in the process of researching and putting this book together, Jasper, and, and this is a question that that I've given some thought to I wish I had some answers but in we touched on Vietnam and and that anti-war protesters very often targeted returning soldiers and that that was sort of a lesson learned in the wake of Vietnam and soldiers are are generally treated much much better by the American public than they were in the wake of uh, Vietnam. But yet the government doesn't seem to be um, on, on that same page. It, it's, 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 how is it that, that the American public has come to appreciate the sacrifice that soldiers have made, and yet organizations like Veterans Affairs from within the government aren't giving them absolutely the best treatment they possibly can? Um, I mean, I would say it's a little bit more complicated than that. I certainly think that, you know, you speak to any civilian on the street, they will profess a a respect and support of veterans. Um, But I I really think that, again, sort of as a result of the the civilian-military divide, Civilians don't really know how to speak to veterans, or at least there's sort of there's an element of guilt and maybe just uh, misunderstanding of the culture. And I, I think a lot of veterans feel like civilians don't really um, support them or think about them much. I think that we have sort of entered a strange phase of 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 sort of corporatized and very in patriotism where you know civilians say thank, thank you, you for, your, for your service has become sort of the new have a nice day right and you know uh you know you get a good you get a good uh deal on a ford truck on veterans day or memorial day <laughs> that's what it's um i i don't think that there's much real thought or or compassion certainly that turns into action around this community. I mean, you know, we were not thinking at all about the wars overseas past, I don't know, 2008, maybe 2009. I mean, you know, people and people are still fighting today um, in Africa and, and in other places. I mean, the, the Defense Department has such a massive global footprint. And I just think that people sort of want to put that out of their mind rather than grapple with the realities of it. So, you know, I've spoken to many veterans who feel like nobody really cares about them. And I think it's a similar feeling, you know, during Vietnam, people were were really focused on Vietnam and there was anger there that sort of rubbed off on vets. But now it's sort of no one really seems to care or think about this population much beyond the sort of, um, you know, simplest expression of gratitude. Um, Are so things I, I, getting better? I, I mean, you know, not not to be too silly, but you know, you mentioned uh, 
veterans getting a deal on a pickup truck on Veterans Day, um, whereas George Washington, you know, he gets a mattress sale. Um, are, you know, I mean that to be lighthearted and a little bit silly, but but underlying, are things improving or is there just a, a huge laundry list of things that need to be done? Um, I think that there is a huge laundry list of things to be done. I mean, you know, the Department of Veterans Affairs, for all of its flaws, um, does offer the best health care in America. Uh, you know, there have been a lot of negative headlines about care inside the VA or long wait lines. And, you know, there are certainly examples of that occurring. Um, the reason I, I would like to mention that those, uh, those sorts of stories make it into the press is because the VA is incredibly accountable. It has an office of inspector general, a, a government accountability office, the department of justice, as well as two congressional committees overseeing it. So anytime that there's an issue brought to the fore, it's publicized, there's a report on it, and there's an action plan to fix it. The, the private sector healthcare system often covers up through legal settlements and NDAs. So it's a sort of skewed understanding of healthcare because of that. Um, and if you look at peer-reviewed articles, um, time and again from some of the most respected research institutions, the VA outperforms the private sector on care metrics, on cost metrics, and on um, wait time metrics. It's not a perfect system. And uh, you know, there's, it's still really difficult to fight a lot of these, uh, war wounds, you know, whether that's PTSD or, um, military sexual trauma, traumatic brain injury, it's, it's, it's really tricky. And there's, you know, there's a whole new challenge in front of us now with these, these rare cancers that are coming from burn pits. So there are a lot of, there is a laundry list of issues that need to be addressed and, you know. Congress is moving too slowly, as it always does. Um, but, you know, there are still... The, the, the veterans still do enjoy the strongest social safety net in, in America. So they are able... You know, they have to navigate a lot of pitfalls that maybe they once didn't have to. But there is still a path to the middle class through military service and veteran life. There's still a way to go to college for free. You know, there there are benefits that this population has that that, um, you know, many appreciate and it can really help people. I've certainly spoken to many vets who are glad they served and, and are appreciative of what the VA has provided them. So, you know, it's a complicated uh, question, but I think there are just so many outstanding issues as there are in, you know, virtually every policy area these days. Now, whenever I ask somebody who has written a book or taken part in writing a book, whenever I ask them this question, the answer is always everybody. But who is it you're hoping will read this book? Is this is this a book for veterans? Is it a book for the the DOD and Veterans Affairs or? Are there things in it that maybe the general public could learn from and and 
and and maybe make some decisions about how to do things that might help support treatment of veterans. Yeah, you know, I think that really this book is pegged towards a civilian audience. Um, You know, we give a lot of context and history of veteran life in America going all the way back to the Civil War. Um, And I think what we're trying to do is make an argument here that there needs to be more focus, more support of this community. I think we debunk a number of myths that sort of are floating out, uh, you know, in the civilian world, assumptions that, that people have that may not be totally true. And I think that, you know, if someone reads this book, I think they'll they'll find that there's a lot of overlap in the struggles that civilians face as well, whether it relates to, to health care or a good job or things like that. I think, you know, we're trying to sort of shrink this divide. And I think it helps that the authors are civilians themselves, you know, the military and veterans issues can get so bogged down in jargon and, you know, these sort of specialized terms and it, it can it can be sort of daunting. But I think we've made a pretty digestible text here that, um, you know, that that can help understand uh, where things are for veterans in America right now. Um. Aside from this book, um, are you still writing articles? Who, where is your work appearing? Yeah, sure. Um, I write as a freelancer for a number of outlets, including the New York Times and the New Republic, the Atlantic, Politico, um, places like that. And uh, yeah, we're still, all of us... Uh, are frequently writing about veterans issues. Um, and, um, you know, I'm working on, uh, a piece right now about a new, uh, industry that has sprouted up again, sort of an enemy on this terrain. Um, according to vets I've spoken to essentially a lot of, um, veterans are turning to for-profit claims companies to help them, get in the front door uh, at the VA, you know, secure a disability rating and benefits and access to the VA. Um, And a lot of these for-profit companies have allegedly offered very little help, but charged thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, And, you know, there's federal statutes that actually prohibit them from doing what they've done. But of course, the penalties for violating those statutes were quietly taken out of congressional text a few years ago. And so there's sort of this gray area now where companies, some of them run by veterans, are making millions of dollars on the backs of veterans without, well, promising to help them with their veterans' benefits and then sort of in the end not really offering much assistance. So, you know, I mean, I'm, I, I can't tell you how many tips I get about corrupt veterans charities and nonprofits that say they're helping veterans when in fact they're essentially just lining the pockets of the people in charge um you know i'm working on a story right now that i can't really get into much detail about but that concerns a a veteran charity that is certainly not as it appears so yeah you know we're constantly getting fielding tips and and digging into things, um, there, you know, it's, uh, the veteran population has shrunk a lot, but it's still 
it's still massive, and uh, there's a lot. There's a lot to cover. How is employment for veterans? Um, employment for veterans is pretty good. Uh, it's generally in recent years the uh, the veteran unemployment uh, numbers have been below the general population. Um, I think employment and um, and housing programs have been especially successful in recent years. I mean, uh, under Obama, the VA, in collaboration with a number of mayors across America, managed to essentially eliminate veteran homelessness entirely. So there's there's a number of, of American cities now that essentially have a uh, virtual zero uh, rate of, of veteran homelessness. Um, there's also some good VA jobs programs. You know, I mean, a third of VA employees are themselves veterans, so that's one area um, of employment that veterans can find. There's also other other jobs. I mean, the, there are, however, employers that you know tout veteran job employment programs that you know then sort of put uh, veterans into pretty punishing jobs. Um, you know, Amazon is one of these companies that uses its veteran employment programs to vigorously pat itself on the back. But then, you know, we've talked to veterans who work in, in these Amazon centers, and they express a lot of the same concerns that other employees of the company do, that they're incredibly harsh and grueling conditions. The pay is not fair. The benefits are bad. Um, you know, that the job leads to the breakdown of the body and also just physical and uh, mental strain. Uh, you know, there's also a lot of veterans in the trucking industry, uh, which has, through deregulation, also become a very punishing job, especially long-haul trucking. You know, back when it was unionized by the Teamsters more vigorously, it was a pretty solid gig, but these days it can be uh, really isolating, really punishing, and so, you know, veterans are also being funneled into jobs that are not great for their physical or mental health. But, you know, on the whole, unemployment is, is low for the veteran population right now. Uh, is that having any impact at all on the suicide rate that we hear about? The suicide rate is pretty unyielding. It, it's really just, it, it's vexing. It's really difficult to... Um, I mean, you mentioned the American Legion, and I know that they have a program, and others have programs that are that are designed to help or mitigate this. But, but like you say, it's pretty unyielding. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's definitely there's there's plenty of academic evidence showing that uh, suicidality generally reduces when someone has a good job, um, and you know steady housing and family support and friends and all of those other things, as well as, you know, access to, to health care. Jasper, uh, we, have to, we have to end it there because we're out of time. I can't believe how fast the time has gone. But thank you so much for sharing your, your thoughts, your expertise, and uh, information from this book, Our Veterans, Winners, Losers, Friends, and Enemies on the New Terrain of Veterans Affairs. My guest is... Uh, Jasper Craven. We got about twenty seconds. Do you have a, a website? I like to let uh, guests share with listeners where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Yeah, sure. Thanks so much. Um, listeners can go to ourvetsbook.com. 
There you'll see um, blurbs from the book from the New York Times. Hi, and this other... is Joe Bye from the Blue Line. Okay, thanks, Jasper. Keep up the good program. work. Thanks. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know, I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community School. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Long Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan, Flipflip Technology, My Community College, it's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology.
engineering and IT services at swiftland.technology. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. recently emerged from the United States Army, so that I am now, of course, in the radioactive reserve. <laughs> and the usual jokes about the Army aside, one of the many fine things one has to admit is the way that the Army has carried the American democratic ideal to its logical conclusion in the sense that not only do they prohibit discrimination on the grounds of race, creed, and color, but also on the grounds of ability. <laughs> Be that as it may, some of you may recall the publicity a few years ago attendant upon the Army's search for an official Army song to be the counterpart of the Navy's Anchors Away and the Air Force's Up in the Air, Junior Birdman, and so on. <laughs> I, uh, I was in basic training at the time, and I recall our platoon sergeant, who was an unfrocked Marine. <laughs> Actually, the change of service had come as quite a blow to him because it meant that he had to memorize a new serial number which took up most of his time. <laughs> At any rate, I recall this sergeant's informing me and my roommates of, uh, <laughs> of this rather deplorable fact that the Army didn't have any official, excuse me, didn't have no official song. <laughs> and uh, suggested, suggested that we work on this in our copious free time. <laughs> well, I submitted the following song, which is called It Makes a Fellow Proud to Be a Soldier, which I think demonstrates the proper spirit, you'll agree. However, the fact that it did not win the contest, I can ascribe only to blatant favoritism on the part of the judges. platoon must swell with pride for the nation's youth the cream of which is marching at his side for the fascinating rules and regulations that we share and the quaint and curious costumes that we're called upon to wear now al joined up to do his part defending you and me he wants to fight and bleed and kill and die for liberty. With the hell of war, he's come to grips, policing up the filter tips. It makes a fella proud to be a soldier. When Pete was only in the seventh grade, he stabbed a cop. He's real RA material, and he was glad to swap his switchblade and his old zip gun for a bayonet and a new M1. It makes a fella proud to be a soldier. After Johnny got through basic training, he was a soldier through and through when he was done. Its effects were so well rooted that the next day he saluted a good humor man, an usher, and a nun. <laughs> 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 
Now, Fred's an intellectual, brings a book to every meal. He likes the deep philosophers, like Norman Vincent Peale. <laughs> he thinks the army's just the thing because he finds it broadening. It makes a fella proud to be a soldier. Flunked out of second grade and never finished school. He doesn't know a shelter half from an entrenching tool, but he's going to be a big success. He heads his class at OCS. It makes a fella proud to be a soldier. Our old mess sergeant's taste buds have been shot off in the war, but his savory collations add to our esprit de corps. To think of all the marvelous ways they're using plastics nowadays, it makes a fella proud to be a soldier. Our lieutenant is the up-and-coming type. Played with soldiers as a boy, you just can't bet. It is written in the stars. He will get his captain's bars, but he hasn't got enough box tops yet. <laughs> Our captain has a handicap to cope with, sad to tell. He's from Georgia, and he doesn't speak the language very well. He used to be, so rumor has, the dean of men at Alcatraz. It makes a fella proud to be what as a kid I vowed to be. What luck to be allowed to be a soldier at ease. Tom Sumner Program.com The brightest moment in any serviceman's day is mail call. That is, it's bright if there's mail. Let's go out to the company area for mail call. <laughs> Okay, here we go. Settle down. Mail call. Settle down. Chet. Yo. Godlewski. Yo. Droz. Yo. Duncan. Yo, yo. <laughs> McDiamond. Yo. Kennedy. Yeah. <laughs> Occupant. I don't know, it's a bar of soap. It says occupant on it. <laughs> Terran. Yeah. Oh, the <laughs> Castellano. Yeah. Jimenez. Just take this mailbag back to the mailroom. Take the mailbag? Back to the mailroom? You mean there's, there's nothing for me? The only thing left is this bar of soap for occupants. You can have that. I'll take that. <laughs> Listen, uh, Corporal, could I ask you a favor? Sure. The next mail call, could you just call off my name anyway? Well, what do you mean, Jose? Well... See, every time I come out here at the mail call and everybody else gets 
letters and there's never anything for me and it's very embarrassing. Well, why do you come out for mail call? Why don't you just stay in the barracks? I'd rather be embarrassed and lonely. <laughs> well, look, uh, how can I call out your name if you don't have a letter? Well, I got a letter. I thought of that. Just hand me this one. This is the last one I got six months ago. I haven't, haven't had a letter since then. Well, who's the letter from? My devoted girlfriend. <laughs> A devoted girlfriend. Yeah, she doesn't devote very good. <laughs> anyway, I'll tell you something. In this letter, I, I kind of get the feeling maybe she's not so crazy about me anymore. You know, if you if you kind of read between the lines, you could tell. If you read between the lines, well, what does she say? Well, I read it to you. Dear sir, <laughs> my husband and I were <laughs> wondering. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
pilots, get off of my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here. <laughs>